If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Damien Maffei from the Strangers Pray at Night, and uh, I'm excited to know that you guys are out there enjoying some of the things I'm a part of. And if I had any advice to give you, Brian, Nico, Mike, and Dustin, don't go out there. In a world where zombies Ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist. It's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin. And they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. My man Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. He's got it looking great. Everything about our podcast is on there. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one to our weekly release. If you want to check out all of our episodes there, maybe you have an office job, don't have access to your phone, you can listen on your desktop computer. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with some of the biggest names in horror, uh, some of your favorite slashers, uh, writers, directors. Check out our interviews if you haven't heard those yet. We got our store. We got some new T-shirts. Uh, Brian and Dustin have done some fantastic designs if you want to check those out. And we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have our social media, fa- uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, we love interacting with our fans. We love you know meeting new people. We love answering your comments and questions on the air. So definitely check us out on social media. And the last thing I want to shout out is our patreon we call it blood donors we have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind you're a big fan of our podcast a big fan of our show you want to help support us that option is available and we also have one-time donations if you want to donate and you know have if you have a film review you want us to do that option is available as well all right guys let's jump into the film review uh we're wrapping up our 31 theme picks uh this is my pick and uh, i'm excited to talk about it uh you know mike has kind of coined the phrase discussion episode and to Brian's dismay, but I really enjoy our discussion episodes. Uh, I love uh, I love discussing horror movies with uh, some of my best friends. It's a really good time, and we've gotten a lot of good feedback, you know, from our fans from these kind of episodes. But my choice is 2018's The Strangers Pray at Night. Uh, I don't hate this movie. I don't hate it. Uh, do I love it like the first Strangers? Absolutely not. It's got some good things. It's got some bad things. Uh, and I'll touch on that when we do our scene by scene. Uh, Brother Mike, he's going to be doing the scene by scene tonight for the first time. I know he's going to do a great job. And I'm looking forward to dissecting this movie uh, with my buddies. Uh, but yeah, but I'll just leave it at that. I'm going to dive more into my thoughts. I don't hate the movie, but uh, I definitely don't love it like the first one either. It's got a lot of things I don't like about it with just like the tonal shifts and all that. Uh, Brian, do you want to go ahead and go next with your thoughts? Yeah, the discussion episode thing, by the way, it just gives me PTSD because it's always, always coined whenever it's terrible fucking movies on the way. And so he, he tries to pe- preface that with, oh, it'll be a good discussion episode. That's why it gives him PTSD every time. But uh, as far as this one goes, I've never seen this. In fact, I never saw the first one until we reviewed it. Don't go out there.com. There's just something about that movie that really stuck with me. You know, it was unhinged. It was just, it just had this creepiness maybe because of the way that it was shot, but definitely had something that I don't think this one did. 
Um, and I kind of likened it to, to Don't Breathe 2, where I never saw this, but I knew that it wasn't well, well received nor liked. So I wasn't really moved to watch it. So, I mean, I'm kind of with Nico. Was it terrible? Not the first half. I really enjoyed the first half of this movie. This just feels completely different from the first one. Like, there's no connection besides villains that don't even seem the same. The The main characters are stupider. It was, to me, like a Wish.com version of Strangers, where, you know, <laughs> that one did something unique, and this one seems like it totally ignored that and just kind of made another paint-by-numbers horror flick, which, again, isn't always a bad thing. And I'm not this diehard fan of the first one, but I did give it an 8 because I really thought it was a well-done movie. You know, and then we get this as the follow-up. And it wasn't the performances. I thought those were top tier. And and here's the thing. Honestly, had they just called this Prey at Night and not had the killers dress up the same and not tried to capitalize on the name of the first one, you have a little slasher that isn't completely terrible to me. Uh, but they didn't, so I didn't care for the stylistic change really at all or or, or much of the second or third act at all. Um, director Johannes Roberts was quoted as saying that he admittedly didn't like slasher or home invasion movies. So, I mean, <laughs> which knowing that it actually makes a lot of sense on why this turned out the way it did, but it's just kind of meh on my end. Um, and that really, you know, dips the second half of the movie and mostly the ending as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So I, I okay. I love the first one. I, I don't make any secret about that. I think the first Rangers is really, really good. One of the few movies left in the world that can genuinely get a scare out of me, honestly, uh, because that situation is so terrifying and so realistic in my opinion. Um, in this movie, you don't get any of that <laughs> to me. Uh, you just kind of get a pretty paint by numbers, home invasion slasher or like a go on vacation slasher or, you know, whatever, same, same stylistic choice there. It's not a bad film per se. I, but it, I liken it to a lot of the, you know, there was an era a couple years ago and even a little bit before that where comedies were following up with sequels way too long after the original. Zoolander comes to mind. That movie's terrible. The second Zoolander, not the first. Um, the second Anchorman, uh, even the most recent Dumb and Dumber, I didn't, I thought was fine, but it wasn't. I mean, it's really hard to capture lightning in a bottle twice. And so. I just think they kind of missed the mark here. Yeah, the villains are good. You know, they were really good in the first one, but I'm I'm not a big fan of switching it up to this setting. Like, if they were going to do a sequel, I would have done like follow up right after the events of that night, at least. You know, give me some kind of chronological thing. Um, but I don't know. I just didn't get the same feeling and same vibes I got from the first one. So pretty good. Just uh, not 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 something I ever feel the need to go back and rewatch for any reason other than to do it on this show. After hearing you three talk about it, I thought that we were going to be pretty much in line, but now I'm starting to think I might have the highest score here. And I don't, I'm not saying I love the movie at all. I agree with what you all said. Um, the first one is substantially better than this one, but um, I think it's still a pretty enjoyable movie. Uh, I think that they do a good job at portraying the family dynamic, particularly Kenzie and Luke, I think they nail the brother and sister relationship. Um, there's some things that I have issues with as well. And after seeing the first one, you kind of know what to expect on a lot of it. But, uh, you know, there's still some, I wouldn't say twist, but the ending still is a little bit uh, unexpected, I guess. Um, I'll get into that when we go to scene by scene. But, yeah, I, I thought it was a, it was a pretty okay movie. Um for the movies that we're going to be ranking on the 31 for 31 is definitely in the top third for me. So oh, yeah. well, it's not close to the bottom. That's yeah. I was going to say it's definitely <laughs> in the top third for me too. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I had never seen this movie um, until the other day when I did my notes and I agree. It's not one I'm in a hurry to watch again, but I would watch again. I, I would think I wouldn't yeah, avoid it. I, I think Brian worded it perfectly where if they just called it pray at night, my score would be higher. Truthfully. Yeah. Oh, and it's worth noting, too, like the unrated version, there's literally no differences besides some extra blood added to some scenes. So just wanted to thank Prom Night Unrated for setting that premise and watering down unrated cuts of movies after 2008, which is a whole nother fucking random mind. So I'll shut up. And not to just argue, but I feel like if you just called it Pray at Night and there was no The Strangers part, I don't even know if I'd go to watch it just because I would think 
They yeah. just kind of feels like the strangers. <laughs> and it whiffed. <laughs> See, but yeah. to me, I wouldn't feel that way because I don't think this movie feels like the strangers. To me, personally. Not the yeah, at least you have a connect. At least you have a connection, like with the the characters, the mask, yeah, sure. and you know the sure. concept. You know, you know. I'm not trying to argue or nothing. It's just no, no. If it's just I, another home invasion, it's like, eh, I've seen this before. Yeah, I agree uh, with what you're saying there, Nico, because I think it's double sided. Like by by making it the Stranger's Spray at Night and it being a sequel, I think it did a lot of what I gripe about. Like just a money grab based on the success of the first one. First one's such a good movie. Oh, we got to keep it going. Let's just pump out something. But at the same time, right. if you write this as a different movie and you take away the strangers aspect, put the, the bad guys in different masks or different get-ups, then I don't think that people are going to flock to the box offices, which Michael get into uh, when he does the budget. I don't think this one had nearly the success it did, and I don't think that I would have watched it. This came out the same year as a lot of other big horror movies, too. So, like, it, it didn't do near what they thought it would, for sure. Anywho. <laughs> Uh, any more opening thoughts before you just let Mike take over the scene by scene? All right, brother. It's all you. All right. Well, I appreciate this. This will probably be the last time you guys ever let me do this. I'm going to crack open a beer for this here particular thing that you guys have brought upon yourselves. Here we go. I promise I took it very professionally. <clears throat> Movie opens with a song, but cuts it off quickly, and we get a likely bullshit based on true events reminder. We see a truck pull up to the house with all the lights off and a woman laying in her bed. There's a knock that gets louder each time, and this woman is surprisingly calm <laughs> for being woken up at this hour of the night. These assholes have left their music on in the truck, likely killing the battery. The woman says, what are you doing in my house? We then see a trailer and, some weir and someone weirdly rubbing a dog before someone in a mask lays down next to a man in the bed, and as Dead Meat would say, title card. It's daytime now, and there's a man packing his car because apparently only dads can load the trunk. We see Kenzie crying in her room as Cindy says, we're going to be late. And then we see a typical ungrateful teenager attitude. <laughs> this, this couple that we've met has a silly handshake like me and my wife, so I already like them. They pick up their son, Luke, who is playing a pickup game of baseball and thinks that's somehow more important than this, than this family outing. The family is going to visit Uncle Marv and Luke and Kenzie argue in the back about sending her to boarding school. Luke calls his sister a queef and <laughs> dad doesn't know what a queef is. Then we see them at a diner that likely has average ass food. Mom and daughter have a moment over a marble red about kicking her out. And Kenzie thinks her parents don't want her there anymore. They get to Uncle Marv's late at night. It looks like no one is there. Cindy goes into the office at the trailer park. And again, no one is there. She grabs the key after reading the note left from Uncle Marv saying to make themselves at home. That's the first set of scenes. Brian? Okay, yeah. So let me start off with the opening title music. And hey, just a little fun fact. According to IMDb, this movie had a ton of references to John Carpenter movies all throughout. You know, this being one of them as the main title music is eerily similar to the OG Fog, which coincidentally we're going to be reviewing in a few few weeks. Thanks to uh, blood donor Christina Tower for that one. Uh, the soundtrack I dig big time throughout. Like Shout out to Adrian Johnson for some of the scary stuff and the 1980s for having some great music for movies to just plug into. So I actually really enjoy the first act of this movie. It pulled me in, you know, with the old folks in the trailer. One thing I noticed, and, you know, there's a lot of these kind of little like things throughout that really bother the hell out of me. It's like there was no attention to detail. But like when the strangers pull up, they're blaring the radio. They're shown shutting off the car and the music, but then it, shows the old lady open the window and the music's back on. Like it's just little stuff throughout. Like also the truck switching between a 1972 Ford F series and a 1973 throughout the film with different body styles, little details. Uh, but right off the bat, I love Christina Hendricks. Part of that may be because I love Bryce Dallas, Dallas Howard and they literally look like the same exact person to me. But regardless, Hendricks is great. Her and Martin Henderson, who, you know, we've covered in X and the ring make another return to the show, but those two have great chemistry and for a believable relationship, like we got from Kristen and James in the first one, in my opinion, this is the first thing I've seen of Bailey Madison's though, who plays Kenzie, but she's, she's fine for at least this section of the movie. Uh, but, but again, it's not her performance for me later on. It's, it's the writing, you know, I love the family dynamic and yeah, great opening set of scenes. I enjoyed it. You know, maybe could have seen the old people kills, but otherwise I'm in for it so far. 
All right, starting things off, the opening song and upbeat EDM tune. It didn't really put me in a stranger's mood, but the street shot of the light and this truck pulling in the tri- into the driveway does. You know, just seeing that truck, it brings back so much nostalgia from the first movie. You know, I'm a big fan of the first one. If I'm Aunt Cheryl, I'm terrified seeing that truck in the driveway. And I'm really, really shitting myself seeing this unknown woman in my home. Uncle Marv must be in the deepest REM sleep possible, not hearing anything or waking up. Be a man. Jesus Christ. You're supposed to go check the, the noise out in the house, not your wife. Nitpicking here, but I'm not a fan of the title card font and the adjacent score. Oh, well. Martin Henderson, my guy. We brought up Ethan Hawke not surviving horror movies a few weeks ago, but my man Martin does not fare well either. The Ring, this movie, and X, they were not kind to him. He took some brutal deaths in these movies. Mike, like Brian mentioned, Mike and Cindy seem like a fun couple and parents. Them having a handshake is dope, just like Mike mentioned. I thought that was really cool. Luke, he's already annoying. He's, what, 17, 19 years old and whining. They started a new baseball game like he's eight. Grow the fuck up, man. We have a weird family dynamic, and it's hilarious. Dad Mike doesn't know what a queef is. I thought that was really funny. More awkward tension at the diner until Cindy and Kenzie have a heart-to-heart talk. This seems like a genuine situation between a mother and daughter, and I appreciated it. The Gatlin Lake sign and bridge is really cool, and the atmosphere of this trailer park I dig a lot. You you really feel isolated out here. And I wrote, come on, Mike, be a man. You go into that office and get the keys. Don't have your wife do that. What are you doing? I thought the note with the instructions on it for Cindy, I thought the, the font and the, how it was written was kind of creepy. Uh, I think this is a nice open. I'm invested in the movie especially because I'm a fan of Martin Henderson. I think he's a great actor and he's, he's, he's been good in all three movies we've done. See, I love the open to a dark, quiet, isolated street. And then the text based on a true story in the lower corner, it just feels so right for a horror movie. I thought that was phenomenal. Um, the, that dog ain't worth a shit, man. My dog would have jumped out of bed with her barking her head off. If someone knocks on my door in the middle of the night, what the fuck kind of dog is this? And what kind of, well, I'll get into that. I love the creepy shot of the person standing in the kitchen in the shadows after she looks out the window and uh, then of the woman and the girl in the mask laying in the bed beside the old man or behind the old man. But what kind of man just sleeps through that? Unless their old lady go and check who's at the door in the middle of the night. You said it, Nico. What the fuck are you doing, dude? Be a man. Uh, you know, Luke being upset that he's got to stop his baseball game. No, I side with Luke. He's definitely old enough to stay by himself for a weekend, but I'm glad he didn't. Because calling his sister a queef, that's a top-notch insult. And it was hilarious that the dad didn't know what it was. Um, I think it's a very efficient way of giving us the, or presenting the family dynamic and introducing this family, uh, you know, what they're going through. And and you don't have to dive into really a backstory. They sprinkle parts here and there. And I think it's very efficient, well done. Yeah, this is a solid open. Agreed. Cindy, who I believe has an annoying voice, tells Mike that they're staying in room number 47. There's a long tracking shot of them driving off with ominous music as they pull up to their double wide. They turn the lights on and it's like 1977 on the inside. There's also leftover Chinese food in the fridge and Mike wants to eat old ass beef and broccoli. And apparently he wants to eat Cindy as well. There's a knock on the door and Cindy says it's a girl. The girl asks, is Tamara home? And they tell her they have the wrong trailer. Mom and dad want to play cars, but the kids aren't having it, which I wanted to pause here and say, play cars with your parents when they ask. You only get so many of those moments. Anyway, Mike starts giving a talk to Kenzie about how hard it is being her parent, and she storms out saying she needs some air. Cindy sends Luke to go talk to her, taking a moment to tell Cindy to call me sometime. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> Luke is looking for Kenzie in the dark fog. He finds her continuing her bad habit of smoking, and Luke attempts to have a brother-sister moment with her. He tells her to get over it and that she's being dramatic, he's right, and tells her that boarding school could be a fresh start. He flicks her cigarette away and Kenzie leaves. Mike asks Cindy if they're going to do the right thing and they agree that ship, if, if they're doing the right thing and they agree that shipping that brat off to boarding school, that's a parent trap reference, is the best for all involved. They'll have the house to themselves now and they can play the no pants dance on the couch, a place where guests come to sit, you freaks, and they share an intimate moment and then there's a knock on the door. Again, the girl asks, is Tamara home? Mike asks if she's lost and then, and this is starting to get more annoying for him than it is creepy. Cindy wants to know where the, where the kids are off to, and now they've wandered off. Cindy is rightfully weirded out by the annoying girl who wants to go look for the kids. More brother-sister bonding as they throw rocks at shit and talk about their aunt and uncle having sex. 
They see a trailer with the door hanging open and they do the whitest person thing possible by walking inside. We get a fake out scare from Kinsey and then we and then they find someone's liquor that isn't theirs or and decide to drink. They hear a loud noise and start walking towards it. And they start asking if someone is there. They hear a whiny dog and then it's another fake out scare. That's all I have. So can we talk about how weird it is to have trailers as a like a vacation getaway like this? Is this a thing? Like, I, I mean, I've only seen cabins in a situation like this. Do they really have trailer park camp things like this that people vacation at? Never been to go on vacation. Yeah, me too, buddy. Mr. Alaska over here. Jesus, man. I wasn't vacation. Kiss my ass. <laughs> anyway, uh, I love all the family stuff we get in this set of scenes, too. I mean, this shit is so well written and realistic. Uh, I, look, I promise you, teenagers suck. You know that old meme that has the OG slashers sitting at a table and then said, like, it's, it has that sign that says, These, those teenagers deserved it, changed my mind? Yeah, that shit is true. Um, I didn't bring up Lewis Pullman as Luke, Bill Pullman's son, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, he and Kenzie have a pretty realistic relationship, and, and they do they do a good job with it. Uh, Pullman, though, looks like he's 30 and not a teenager like he's supposed to be playing. Uh, I know that's a movie trope, but it's drastic and, and kind of jarring when it's put up next to Bailey Madison's uh, Kenzie again. Anyway, and Pullman, I looked it up, was born in 93, so he was 25 when he shot this movie. Sadly for him, he doesn't have that baby face to pull off 17, but just my opinion. Some pretty good shots here from Johannes, though, I think. Uh, when Dollface comes up the second time and you know walks off, there's a great tracking shot of her in the dark that stood out to me. Um, nice little line here about uh, Kinsey talking about how she could barely pick up a bat when she was little. That's a good attempt at, I mean, what will be a callback during the finale if you you know haven't already turned the movie off by that anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, another great group of scenes here to me. Uh, movie is well above a nine right now for me as a score. Great tension in the trailer till the kids find the dog. Great atmosphere. Uh, movie is fantastic to me in my opinion right now. I think the smiley face on the mailbox is a nice touch. I thought it was really creepy. I kind of feel like this family is throwing shade at this trailer, but in this 2023 economy, that's a $300,000 trailer, you know? <laughs> like, hey, man, y'all need to stop hating. Uh, Mike, you know, my guy Martin Henderson, he's horny right off rip. He wants to be Tyrell from I Still Know He Did Last Summer so bad. Is Tamara home? Mm. I don't love it. It doesn't hit the same as the first movie. The voice isn't as menacing in the tension I feel like wasn't built up yet enough for that line. Uh, another good parent scene with Mike consoling Kenzie. It seems genuine up until they send her brother after her. Based off what we've seen in the movie, they seem to not have the best sibling relationship so far. I agree with Luke. Kenzie's being dramatic in this sequence. Luke does give her some good brotherly advice, though, which I appreciated. Seeing Dollface in the background run off on the playground was a really nice touch of creepiness. I really do like the relationship between Mike and Cindy. They both do a great job. They seem like a real-life couple. Dollface ruins another sweet moment between Mike and Cindy with her is Tamara Holmes' stint. I hate to keep comparing to the first movie, but this is Tamara Holmes just doesn't hit the same. I do laugh at Mike bluntly asking if she's lost or needs someone to call or needs to call someone for her. That shit was hilarious. He didn't give her no chance. At this point, if I'm the parents, I'm packing up and leaving. This girl has creeped me out enough to want to ditch Gatlin Lake. Cringy line, Luke saying their uncle and aunt have porno sex, especially since he said Uncle Mars smelled like beer and wet dog earlier. Blech. Never would have guessed the daughter getting sent off to boarding school would want to break into a trailer and take shots of alcohol. Who's surprised by that? Blah, dog jump scare. <laughs> I know we've all complained about these in the past. Wasn't a big fan of it. But like Brian said, this is a good set. Of, another good set of scenes. There's a few nitpicks I have, but I'm invested for what's coming next. So I love the atmosphere here. Uh, it's abandoned, dark, creepy. It's perfect for this kind of movie. Uh, the knocking is unsettling here because it's the same knocking pattern we heard in the open. It's very familiar for this franchise. And the girl in the shadow, yeah, we know what that is. So it's very tense. I like that. Big time dad move, going over to Kenzie on the couch and putting his arm around her when she clearly didn't want him to do that. Um, and like that, that's one of those things I just think they nailed perfectly. The daughter seems like she's going to, be like, okay, I'll come play cards that she gets up and walks outside instead. I think Luke and yep. Kenzie, they do a good job at capturing that brother-assisted dynamic here. Uh, when they when he's talking to her, find, trying to go find her when she's smoking, and they have that little heart-to-heart. Uh, because the brother, you know, he starts out being a dick, like brothers do, and then he sees that she's genuinely upset, and that's not going to work. He 
flips the script a little bit. Very creepy after the little talk when we see the little girl or the, see the girl in the mask standing next to the playground and then take off running. I thought that was an awesome shot. When the girl shows back up asking for Tamara, I love how they keep her in the shadow. Like we never get a clear look at her here. It just adds a nice layer to her character. Again, though, I say this. I've said it before on the show. I'll say it every time I see it. Have these people never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre? You never enter an unknown house just because the front door is open. What the fuck? You're just asking for trouble. Uh, I think this is another good set of scenes to build the suspense of where we're going. Um, I agree with what you said, Brian. Very high score so far through two sets of scenes. We see hello written in red all over the mirror, all over the windows and mirrors. The two are confused and they see a bloody sheet propped up in the corner. <laughs> Kenzie stupidly pulls it off and we see a dead body that's likely Uncle Mar. Now they're lost and don't know where they are. They run into their parents and tell them what they saw. Mike and Sydney don't believe them at first, but then Mom and Kenzie head back to their trailer while Dad and Luke go to investigate the bodies. Kenzie is freaked out, hugging and crying Cindy. They find all the phones have been smashed and left on the counter. They call 911, and then they, and then they realize there's someone in the house. They turn around and see the girl in a mask who has a butcher knife and chases after Kenzie and Cindy. The girl in the mask is fucking with them super hard as she knocks on the door and jiggles the handle. Cindy unnecessarily just screams, leave us alone, as loud as humanly possible. And now they're escaping out of a window. Girl in the mask is punching through the wall, which even Jack Nicholson couldn't do with an axe. Cindy is stabbed as Kenzie watches and screams, Mommy. We see a shot of Cindy hanging on the sink all bloody. We get a long look at a mailbox with a creepy smiley face. Dad and Luke are looking around this trailer and hearing noises and people talking. We see a shot of Mike looking through the blinds out of, out of the creepy swing set and said they want to get back to Cindy and Kenzie. They attempt to make a run for it, see a man in the street with a mask on. Mike starts to threaten to shoot the man in the mask, but when he steps outside, the man is gone. I would advise these two to don't go out there, but they make a run for it anyway. We are back with Kenzie, who is running until she meets a fence. She's screaming for help, but the girl in the mask is on her ass. <laughs> Mike and Luke are back at the trailer, and they find Cindy bloody and dead with a smiley face on the mirror as we hear a score that sounds very similar to Halloween 2018. That's all That's all I got for that, Brian. Hey, very nice product placement there, Mike. Very nice. Uh, continuing the great tension that was the last group of scenes here at the start with them finding the window written on. You know, at first I was like, why are we not using our cell phone flashlight here? But then I remembered that he took their phones at the start, and I was like, hey, that's pretty good writing right there. So I want to at least give props where they're deserved because I'm going to shit on that writing later for sure. Uh, Bailey Madison, I think, did a great job acting terrified here. She really did a good job throughout doing that. You know, I'm going to question, though, in the bathroom when it shows the door being locked and unlocked. Am I wrong, or is that door unlocked the entire time with the lock being horizontal? Or do my locks just work different in my house here? I mean, I know Mike's doors probably have fingerprint locks on them, but mine locked Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> mine locked vertical. Anyway, Christina Hendricks' death, that was unexpected 34 minutes into this. But I don't mind that. You know, she's she's great, but in unexpected deaths, you know, I'm a big fan of. I'm giving the movie the benefit of the doubt right here. Um, Hendricks acted it phenomenally as expected. But the music choice didn't work for me there. There's no reason for that to be playing, and it was jarring in my opinion. Uh, the way Cindy's body laid was weird to me also. Uh, it seemed to to fall to the ground when she was stabbed, but now she's suddenly head first in the sink. Just, again, didn't seem correct to me. Um, and last continuity thing, it seemed like it took Luke and Kenzie like two seconds to walk through the woods and be back at the trailer, where it took Luke and Mike like the entire time Cindy was stalked to get to Marva's body. Like pacing seems off a little bit, and I think that's an editing problem. Um, great introduction of the man in the mask, though. Friend of the show, Damian Maffei, taking the reins on this one. He did the intro for us on this show and when we did the first one way back when. Um, not sure as a victim while we're giving him five seconds to run away before we shoot at him, but mm, we did. Um, some more great shots, though. Uh, shout out to the cinematographer, Ryan Samul, since I already gave the director credit, a uh, veteran in the business. And uh, last thing, very touching scene when they find Cindy. Great use of sound as it kind of goes in and out there, too. Another really good set of scenes for me. I mean, we are three for three thus far. Movie sitting at like a high eight or nine for me right now. Mm, all right. Me and, me and Brian have some disagreements in this one, but that's good. The hello all over the window is another callback that I wasn't a huge fan of. And why did the strangers cover the bodies in a sheet and then mutilate their faces? Razzle dazzle. 
Like in the first one, they just you know tied him up and stabbed him and left him. I, I didn't like all the extraness. It takes away from the realism. They, it's more Art the Clown than it is the Strangers for me personally. That's true. All right, parents, now is the time you get in the car and leave. No need to investigate yourself. Call the police. This is where this turns into a basic slasher instead of the horrifying home invasion movie like the first. Cindy being strong for she and her distraught daughter, I really appreciated that. This is terrifying seeing all the cell phones crushed. Now is when you must get in the van and leave. But oh shit, Dollface is in the house. It's about to go down in my Kevin Hart voice. Cindy and Kenzie running from Dollface frustrates the hell out of me. There are two of you. Yes, she has a knife, but you have numbers on her. Kick the bitch. I agree with Do that. something. Agree, it's a knife, not a gun. It's not a machete. It's Absolutely. a kitchen knife. You're right. And yes, yeah, Cindy, yelling, leave us alone will work. It always does. How many movies have we watched and that works? <laughs> and I guess this is where the studio ran out of Christina Hendricks' money because her death scene is horrible. It, she keeps her back to the killer the whole time, puts up zero fight at all. Like your kid is right above you and she's in danger and you put up zero fight. Jesus Christ. This is a terrible way, in my opinion, to kill her off. I know Brian is losing it here with this 10 plus second still shot of the mailbox and streetlight. My man hates a good nature <laughs> shot. I think we get a pretty weak reaction from Mike seeing dead Uncle Marv and Aunt Cheryl. Uh, I thought he could have maybe showed a little more emotion, but he does a great job. Just thought he could have showed a little more there. Good jump scare with a thud against the trailer. This is a good, this is a really tense scene. I think Luke pausing at the door with the sackhead reveal in the street. I think that's awesome. I think that's great. Another one of the greatest hits nods as Mike looks for the gun. It makes sense, but it feels incredibly on the nose to the first one. Stop counting down and just shoot the motherfucker. Like he's out in the street with an ax and you're in trouble. It's like, what are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. Kenzie does a great job with her screams and portraying fear and his good cinematography. Yep. Having Dollface slowly walking up on her from the field. I really like that scene. Uh, and brutal for Mike finding his dead wife in the bathroom. Great job of both men here portraying their fear and their trauma. Uh, I, it, this scene, this set of scenes had a lot of good, but it also had a lot of bad too. Uh, go ahead, Dustin. Dustin, before yeah. you go, go <laughs> ahead and go ahead and make me a uh, fuck them nature shots hat. Uh, just go ahead and make me one of those. I'm not. I'm gonna definitely wear that. All right. Yeah. Uh, Kubrick's gonna kick your ass in afterlife. Only if you admit the shining was good, then I'll do it. Um, the reveal under the sheet's a little anticlimactic to me. There's blood on the sheet, and we know that trailer because the dog. When, like when they open the door, we know that what trailer we're in now. That should have been a bigger deal when they found the bodies, but it just wasn't. And I agree with what you said, Nico. Like it was too theatrical. I, you know, put sitting them up, putting the sheet over them. That doesn't work for me. Now finding the phones all smashed up. That was perfect to me. As was Dollface's entrance. Although when you see all the phones smashed up, first thing you should do is clear the other rooms. These people are stupid. Like you got to go check the other rooms to make sure that there's no one else in there. When you see the, uh, see the smashed up phones, brutal scene where Kenzie saw her mom knifed up right in front of her and was literally helpless. This is why you never take the Scooby-Doo route and split up. Like the whole family should have stayed together. No matter what trailer they were going to just stay together. Strength in numbers. I can't even lie when Luke and Mike were listening to the messages on the answer machine and that loud bang happened. I thought Luke got shot like that got me. I thought that was a damn gun gunshot coming through. Uh, the man in the mask standing there with the ax in the street. That was a creepy shot. And they're clearly in danger. Why the hell did Luke ask? Are you really going to shoot them? Shut the hell up, kid. It's I mean, it's it's, it's us or them. What are you talking about? Are you really going to shoot them? Pussy. Uh, when Kenzie gets to the fence and Dollface is stalking her, why the hell does the fence have razor wire at the top? This is a campground or a prison? What the hell? What are we doing? Barbed wire is enough. Razor wire is some tough shit. Uh, and then it's absolutely gut wrenching when Luke and Mike find Cindy's body. I mean, I just I couldn't imagine that just walking in and seeing your wife slash mother. Um, that made it sound like the wife was the mother uh, to the same person. Your wife and or your mother. Uh, all bloodied up and draped over the sink. Yeah. And I get what you were saying about it didn't make sense because it looked like she just slumped down. Now she's laid over the sink. I took that as they were trying to make it, uh, you know, a big presentation like they did the aunt and uncle under the sheet. I mean, they moved those bodies. So why not move hers and prop her up? But if they really wanted to be funny, they should have like made it look like she was taking a shit on the, put her on the toilet with her pants down all bloodied up. That would have been funny, but 
this is still a strong set of scenes. I'm still in to this point. All right, man. God almighty. <laughs> All right, I'll try to collect myself. <clears throat> Mike and Luke have smartly stopped running around on foot. Now they are on the run in the car. They are hit by something as the mirror breaks and they crash the car. Kenzie is running aimlessly yet again and hears the music in the truck and stupidly walks to the truck. The truck turns its lights on and start chasing after her. They find her in, they find her in a pipe and a, and a new masked person appears and saying, but we've just started. I believe Kenzie actually said, you know, please stop or whatever. She said, sorry, I just kind of left that out. That's my fault there. <laughs> Mike and Luke wake up in the car and Luke is trying to pull glass out of Mike. Dad tells Luke to leave the car and go find his sister, which is basically a suicide mission. Dad is stuck there as we see a man off in the distance behind them. The man gets in the car now, and Mike is laughing for some fucking reason as he begs for his life, and the man turns on the music. Mike asks why why he's doing this and begs him to stop and to let his family go. The man holds up the knife to Mike and slowly stabs him as Mike bleeds out. Masked man looks at the knife calmly and shuts the music off. We're back to the masked people driving around and chasing Kenzie on foot while Luke is still looking for her. Kenzie runs into a trailer and starts to hear noises again. She says hello and once again stupidly walks towards it and then she opens the jack in the box. Um, okay, so halfway point of the movie is right here and this is pretty much exactly where it kind of starts going downhill for me a little bit. It starts right here at the start of this where thanks to a nice pause from Dead Meat James, you can see that the man in the mask through whatever it was at the car, and then suddenly back in the truck two seconds later with Kenzie. Yeah. You know, that's easily <laughs> fixed by just having someone else throw the damn thing. But, you know, hey, what do I know? But my biggest thing is they weren't driving fast enough to lose control and wreck 50 yards off the fucking road. I mean, come on with that. Like, they were Bingo. looking for Kenzie, not fucking drag racing. I mean, it's ridiculous. Then we get Kenzie running from the man in the mask hiding in the tube and Dollface just happens to be in the same fucking tube. Like which when the headlights were shining on like the tube inside, it looked like she was up against the back of it anyway. I didn't even think there was any, any more room in there, but so I don't know, just that whole thing. Get the fuck out of here with that. Then the man, the mask is now back suddenly with Luke and Mike. Now that's stupid as fuck, but that's a very touching scene with Martin Henderson and Lewis Pullman. They did a fantastic job. I think acting right there. Very touching. And again, had you not had such a good family chemistry at the start of this movie that maybe doesn't work as well right there, but it did. Again, not sure why we have to have such weird music choice playing with his death, but it was on the radio, so I'll allow it. I thought this was a very good death scene. But now we're suddenly teleported back into the truck with the man in the mask driving, looking for Kenzie. I mean, that was some, it was just dumbass editing is what it was. Uh, and whoever was editing it didn't realize that the man in the mask is fucking jumping around everywhere. Uh, and Kenzie just so happens to run into the fucking trailer where there's a fucking jack-in-the-box all set up for her like they knew she would run into this goddamn trailer. Like, what the fuck ever. Anyway, that's all I have. I don't I don't have a lot on this set of scenes either, but I, I kind of said a lot of the same you said, Brian. Uh, starting off, I, hated the, I hate the score playing along with every scene. It gets on my nerves. And I wrote, all right, Mike, this center block would have scared me too, but damn, bro, you weren't going 80 miles an hour. You couldn't get in control of the wheel? Be a man. Jesus Christ. And I wrote, I hate to reiterate dead meat here, but how, like like you said, Brian, how does Sackhead get from throwing that center block at the windshield to being in the truck that fast? Like, just have Dollface drive or something. Like, you can cha- you can fix that easily. Uh, I like pinup girl reveal here, scaring Kenzie. That mask is so freaking creepy, uh, even though that jump scare is kind of scary. Uh, it's spoiled in the trailer if you watch that. But, damn, this is tough to see. My guy Martin Henderson pinned in the truck with a wooden beam through his core. It's tough as a viewer knowing he's about to die because he's my, he's my favorite actor in the movie. I'm proud of you. Something every boy wants to hear from his dad. Sackhead in the background and then sitting in the truck with Mike is a really good moment. This is the epitome of up shit creek without a paddle. This has to be the worst feeling as a dad, being helpless and knowing your kids are in danger. This is a much better death scene compared to Christina Hendricks. Uh, I really like this death scene. Spoiler alert, it's my favorite. Sackhead looking at the ice pick nonchalantly and wiping the blood off so playfully. It's scary how evil and sick some people in this world can be. Uh, Kenzie needs to join the army, not go to boarding school. This girl been running forever. Her cardio conditioning is next level. And that's all I got, Dustin. Go ahead. Look, I get it. He threw something at your windshield. 
Yeah, that doesn't mean your damn brakes don't work. What the fuck was that? Like, he just threw something at the windshield. Like, to me, it would have been more efficient if they threw, like, a spike strip or something. Because then, yeah, you can't really control what's happening. I don't know. That that was stupid. Uh, Kenzie made back-to-back dumbass decisions here. One, standing there looking at the truck like it could possibly be anything good. And then, two, getting in that tunnel in the playground. Just remedial. What are you doing? Uh, when the man in the mask walks away after seeing Mike in the crash van, it looks like he's going to leave him to just bleed out or something. And then he just walks around and gets in the passenger seat, turns on the radio and stabs him with an ice pick. That's psycho shit there. Like that, that's crazy. Uh, Kenzie just being full of dumbass choices. As soon as I hear that high pitched noise in the trailer, I'm leaving. I'm not picking up a damn Jack in the box. So yeah, this is a bunch of questionable decisions. Uh, it, it honestly took me out a lot. This is where my score dropped significantly. Bingo. Y'all pray for me because this is the most I have written. I got to make it through. Here's the Hail Mary for myself. <clears throat> the masked girl jumps on scream and stabs Kenzie in the leg. Luke appears with a gun to try and save her. Instead of trying to shoot, Luke just stands there like a dumbass and they run out of the trailer. The truck pulls up as they run off and now they're trying to climb into a building. Luke carries Kenzie and tries to stop her from bleeding out. Kenzie is having regrets now about how she treated her parents leading up to this day. Luke comforts her with telling her a story from their childhood. Kenzie blames herself for her mom's death, and Luke tells her that's not true. The truck drives into the house and is trying to knock it down. Kenzie falls as they're running, and we see the truck is on the move again. Luke finds the lobby of the trailer park and is screaming for them to leave them alone. There's a creepy jingle playing as one of the masked people creeps up behind Luke. Now we're at the pool with a badass song playing, and it's all lit up. Really like this scene. Luke finally does something worth a shit by hitting the masked person with a club and then stabs her while trying to, to pull the mask off. He hears metal dragging. And now he's face to face with this man and starts swinging as Luke falls into the pool. They're fighting underneath the water as the masked man finally catches Luke and stabs him from behind. Luke bleeds out into the pool while they leave the camera on him for fucking ever. Kinsey finally finds him and pulls him out and is trying to save him. Kinsey says she's going for help. And we get another long, foggy tracking shot of Kinsey. And she's back to running away on foot. And sees, and sees one of them running away. And then a policeman pulls up. The policeman is trying to listen, but the masked woman slits the throat of the cop. She has the keys as she tries to slash Kinsey from outside the car. Kinsey finds a gun from the cop and blows the fuck out of this girl. She pulls the mask off the girl and asks why she's doing this. Mask girl responds, why not? Which is a great answer, honestly. We see Kinsey crying in the car as she's hit from behind with the truck. The next set of scenes is the last one. Go ahead, Brian. Finally pull that transition off. Been trying to copy Nico the whole fucking show. <laughs> yeah, the, the fight started this scene pissed me off badly. One of these people killed your fucking mom. I mean, yes, it's Dollface, but Luke doesn't know that. But they killed your mom, and you still can't pull the trigger to shoot this bitch. Like, are you fucking kidding me? That pissed me off so much, bro. Like, you couldn't have Dollface just die right there. I mean, damn, you're going to kill her later. You can't just do it right there. I don't know. It makes these people even seem even stupider to me, and it just drove me crazy. Um, more great acting, though, between Luke and Kenzie cleaning, you know, when she, they were cleaning up her wounds. Bailey Madison killed it in this little intimate scene. <clears throat> Decent jump scare with the truck busting in. But again, how did they know they were in there? What makes no sense? And speaking of no sense, Luke leaves Kenzie. Like, did these writers just pop in a horror movie from the 70s and be like, oh, okay, this is what we need to do. Shit makes no sense. And apparently right here, they even cut a scene that had the man in the mask know she was hiding under the trailer. So it was almost even worse. Something else, the 911 person being called from the landline. They wouldn't be asking where he's located. So that's stupid as hell. You're calling from a landline. 911 call claiming to have people being killed and they send one deputy. Maybe, maybe it's just a small town. But then we get the machines inside that just kind of start working like it's supernatural or something, which made no sense. But then we get the pool scene. Thank God, because it saved this entire set of scenes for me. The pool scene was fucking fantastic, I thought. Great shots of pinup girl who I have a little tidbit about her at the end during the fun facts. But we get this great like pulled back shot of her first attack and it looks it looks really good. And my God, he knocks the shit out of her and then stabs the shit out of her. Like that was very satisfying there. Pullman does a fantastic job showing the struggle as well whenever he's stabbing her. Uh, Couple that with total eclipse of the heart playing and great choreographed scene uh, with the man in the mask. 
Then another great shot of the blood flooding the pool. Just Bravo movie. Bravo. That was, that's my favorite set of scenes in the movie. Maybe there's hope kind of, kind of not because this cop goddamn seriously, zero fucking peripheral vision. Dollface walks literally right in his line of sight before sneaking up on him. Come on. You got to have your head on a swivel a little bit better than that. But I'm down with the shotgun blast and the great why not line, like Mike mentioned, and, and the double tap. I was I was pumped there. Pretty much the end of a uh, uh, of the good shit, though, for me here. Like, uh, oh, by the way, no airbags in the cop car. I kind of thought that was a little bit like what? What? That didn't happen. Okay, but anyway, go ahead. Good old discussion episode because I do disagree with you on a few things, Brian. So I'm looking forward. Uh, but sorry to compare to the first again, but the Jack in the Box doesn't compare anywhere. And I got the most on this set of scenes, so bear with me. This Jack in the Box doesn't compare anywhere near to the record player. I'm not sure if that's what they were going for, but that's what came to my mind as a fan of these two or of the first movie. Give me a fucking break, Luke. You can't shoot this woman who's about to kill your sister. You found your mom dead. What a bitch. Terrible job of writing here, writers. One of the most frustrating scenes in all of horror. I chuckled seeing Luke shut the blind, but it didn't close at all. Like, what are you doing, man? I will give Luke his props here. He does a good job of consoling Kenzie. He's done a good job of that throughout the whole movie. This truck through the house jump scare got me, but how the fuck did Sackhead know they were in that trailer? You know, kind of like how Brian mentioned. Meh, of course, they cut the phone line while he's mid-call. Why do they not have it cut already? It just doesn't work for me. I mean, they could have easily just played it off as like that 911 call that Cindy did earlier was the one that got them there. I mean, they were already one step ahead of them. Just cut the phone line here. Just leave us alone doesn't work, Luke. Your mom already tried that. Sorry, man. I think most would agree this pool scene is the highlight of the film. The lit up Las Vegas style trees, total eclipse of the heart playing. Chef's kiss with that iPhone emoji. Sorry, Android users, if you don't have that one. Finally, Luke decides to man up Molly whopping pinup girl and stabbing her to death, even though his stabs look pansy as can be. I guess Brian kind of interpreted it as he was hesitating or, you know, just had some troubles doing it. I don't know. I just think he's a bitch and he was a pansy. I love the sound when Sackhead is dragging that axe on the ground. Intense quarrel between the two guys. Sackhead, I bet, is a woodchopper from way back. Shout out to Dustin. He was really swinging that axe. Luke really turns his back to a mass killer with a knife. Jesus H. Christ. Spoiler alert. I wish he would have just died here. He's so annoying and stupid. Crippled Kenzie arrives to help him out of the pool because, of course, this girl couldn't walk a few minutes ago. Now she's helping her brother walk. Is this Marlena from Cloverfield all over again? She just gets stronger as she gets more injured. Listen, who am I to judge here? But Kenzie is crying way too loud as she walks through this field and trailer park. Get it together, sis. As soon as (laughs) I saw this cop, I knew he was a goner. Cop and Kenzie have a negative 68 rating on Madden and Awareness. (laughs) <laughs> when did Dollface manage to get the damn keys from this truck? Be serious, movie. Thank you in all caps, Kenzie, shooting her. But I got to disagree. The why not line is cringy. And it's nowhere near as good as the because you were home. The actress under the mask does make a difference, in my opinion. I do appreciate her sinister look up at Kenzie, though, while she's getting shot. I thought that was good. Yet again, I'm telling Kenzie to get it together and leave. But Sackhead rams her in the rear. Some highs, but quite a few lows in this set of scenes. Go ahead, Dustin. Whoa, that was crazy. With the truck. Hey, yo. Right after Kenzie's dumb decision, we get Luke with a dumbass decision. Shoot the bitch. What are you doing? Kenzie's breakdown when Luke is trying to tourniquet her leg was very understandable, though. I think that's very solid acting there by Bailey Madison and Lewis Pullman. Uh, Again, they just captured that brother-sister dynamic perfectly to me. Uh, The truck busting through the wall like the goddamn Kool-Aid man got me. I mean, I knew they weren't going to have forever to just sit there and reminisce about the good old times, but truck through the wall was shocking. I I like that. That was cool. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If if the man that was driving the truck would have went, oh, yeah, I would have lost my mind. (laughs) Hiding under the porch was dumb to me. Like, they have no idea how many bad guys there are and no idea if they were seen doing that. That's too risky. I guess she's wounded, but again, stick together. And he left her the gun. Kind of deserved to die with those dumbass choices. When he's out uh, the pool and total eclipse of the heart starts playing, I can't help or I can't be the only one who immediately thinks of old school, right? Like that song belongs to the damn band. I fucking need you now. Anyway, uh, hell of a swing with the golf club there. Baseball practice paid off for him. He nailed that bitch. Not sure I've ever seen someone look like more of a pussy while stabbing someone, though. He looked pathetic stabbing her. 
Damn. Damn. Y'all are rough on that man. He's, he's struggling. Be a man. Dude, they, they killed your mom. They killed your dad. They're trying to kill you and your sister. No. Anyway. Man, bro, he has a fucking axe. Run. Don't gingerly back away. Like I said earlier, Luke deserved to die for being a dumbass. Not sure how Kenzie got to the pool that soon after Luke was stabbed and the man in the mask didn't get her too, but okay. Like she, she had to, it looks like there's no exit at that pool. So it looks like she had to come in how he went out. All right. What the hell is it with cops and movies though? Having no awareness. You said it. Negative 68 Madden rating. Kenzie should have seen <laughs> Dollface walk up too. Like neither one of them had any awareness of their surroundings. It all happened right in front of her. That was a hell of a shotgun blast to the chest. Big fan of that. Um, she took too much time after that, though. Like, have some urgency. You're going through a lot here. I don't know, man. I mean, there's some some stuff that's enjoyable in this set of scenes, but just a lot of stuff that's head scratchers. Again. Yeah, I would like to clarify when I said it was my favorite set of scenes, I meant the pool part. That was my favorite part of anything. Not this entire group, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I feel you on that. Before you go, Mike. Dustin, I when, I need Luke stabbing pinup girl like Michael Myers did Octavia. Uh, yeah, Octavia. What's her name? Uh, Octavia. Uh, fuck. Wow. From Halloween too. Yeah. The nurse just yeah. just yeah, stabbing yeah. the fucking yeah, giving it to her. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Hey, yo, Whoa, that was crazy. Uh, that was anyway, crazy. the truck is ramming Kenzie from all sides now, and she somehow escapes the car on foot and watches on. She sets the cop car and the truck on fire with her lighter and walks away. The man is the man is driving a truck that is fucking on fire. This was this was almost a positive message for the tobacco companies. Uh, Kenzie is somehow lifting away from the truck and now she's crawling on the ground. The masked man gets out of the truck with face burns and falls down to his knees. He removes the glass shards and keels over right in front of her. A truck pulls up, pull, but but it looks like she has and it looks like she has help. But the masked man is back with an axe. She gets him off the back of the truck and they drive off with a shot that is very Texas Chainsaw-inspired. We are at the hospital now where Luke is in critical condition and, ten- and Kenzie is terrified at any noise before we're met with a knock at the door. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, yeah, sure. No I'm just going to let you go. It was, it was for dramatic <laughs> effect. It was a pause. Oh, man, this fucking set of scenes. It sucks. First of all, so the cop car won't start after being rear-ended because, of course not. But not only that, man in the mask knew it wouldn't because, of course, and was able to take his time getting up to ramming speed. Now, her having an explanation to have a lighter all called back to her smoking, I'm good with that. Like, that's nice writing there. The explosion, that should have been the end of the movie. That's it. Happy ending. Okay, I'm down. You were doing that anyway, so why not? But no, we can't have nice things. Oh, no. We get a stabbed as fuck Kenzie running from the flaming truck down the middle of the goddamn road again instead of just ducking off the road. Then onto the fucking bridge. (sighs) Man in the mask decides to go slow and not run her over because, of course, he doesn't. Why not? He's only burning to fucking death. It is like that meme of the dog and the entire house is on fire and he's sitting there like, everything's fine in here. That's what it reminded me of. And he's still not dead. That's what I liked about the first one, man. The villains were human. The first one felt real. This one had all these people feel almost supernatural. But we're finally done, right? That's got to be it. You know, stupid, but hey, we are finally done. Oh, wait. No, we aren't. We need to rip off another movie with this Texas Chainsaw bullshit ending. How the fuck is this guy still alive? Man, this this pissed me off so much. I don't even care about Luke somehow surviving and not bleeding out. But hey, so did Dewey anyway. I know you <laughs> it didn't. wasn't a bad thing. I was just saying he if Dewey can survive a backstab, this guy can too, man. He's Bill Pullman's son. Bill Pullman's son. You're comparing this little pussy to a former WCW world heavyweight champion. So <laughs> the worst of all time. No. Anyway, um, the, the ending made this so much damn worse. I mean, but apparently I read there was another ending where man and the mask gets her in the hospital. So again, I ask, what the fuck? That's it. <laughs> Brian, uh, 
kind of like our group chat, I'm about to echo so a lot of things you just said. Is it just me or is Sackhead too playful acting in this movie? I don't know. Pulling up beside Kenzie just didn't work for me, giving her that stare. No way in hell that cop car doesn't flip over on that first hit. I didn't buy that at all. But Kenzie does gain 100 awareness points on her Madden score, noticing the leaking gas and throwing the lighter at it, igniting the two vehicles on fire. And that's I'm, the most, I'm, I'm repeating exactly what you just said, Brian. That's the most Madden references we've ever had in one, <laughs> one episode. <laughs> hey, man, that's what happens. I don't even like Madden. That game sucks. This, no, but I'm agreeing 100% with you, Brian. This would have been a fine ending. Kenzie walking away from the inflamed cars, but somehow Sackhead is now an unstoppable killing machine, and this is the most indestructible truck ever. Give me a fucking break. He has a giant glass shard in his core, and this burlap sack has melted to his face, but he's still alive. He falls over on the bridge. He's got to be dead now, right? Oh, give me a fucking break here. He's still alive chasing after Kenzie and has all this power and energy left. Coach Lonnie from Florida State needs to give Kenzie a call. That was a damn powerful bat swing. <laughs> so it's daylight now. How long has she been in the bed of this truck? Where is her brother? Hard for me to believe he didn't bleed out, but what do I know? Could do without this false scare in the ending. These killers are regular people that were psychopaths. Making Sackhead a super killer is one of the, is, it's probably the biggest detriment to the whole movie for me. I thought this ending was pretty bad and I thought it was way too over the top. Go ahead, Dustin. Yeah, I'm not sure why, uh, after shooting the girl twice, she decided to take a stance against using the shotgun. But Zippo explosion works too. Although she was way too close to that explosion to just be standing there afterwards. Like that shit would have sent her flying in real life. Watch a Michael Bay movie for God's sake. Um, then the truck blew up and is on fire, but he can still drive it. Okay. And why the hell would she stay in the middle of the road if she's being chased by a truck? Like serpentine, get in the grass, do something. She's running down the middle of the street. Uh, when the woman and her kids stop in the truck, couple things here. One, are you okay? Bitch, she's covered in blood, screaming, please help. Do you think she's okay? Also, what time is it? This has to be the wee hours of the morning based on how long they were in that trailer park and the fact that, you know, uh, they presumed that their aunt and uncle was asleep when they got there. Why does that kid have a ball and glove at this hour? Like he's sitting there like he just got done with baseball practice. What, what time is this? The time stands still. What has happened? Uh, last thing is the cliffhanger at the very end in the hospital. That was just so unnecessary to me. Like to me, it would have been, you know, she's riding off in the back of the truck, roll credits, roll credits. That's, that's all we needed. So I don't know. All right, guys, any more final thoughts for you to jump into our social media comments and questions? Yeah, that ending sucked ass. Anyway, <laughs> right, let's jump over to Instagram first. Teammate of the show, Kevin Scanlon. He said, I have my problems with this film, but man, it's entertaining. I love the soundtrack too. I can, I can, I'm, I'm on, I'm on board with that. I can understand that. It's definitely got some problems though. Let's jump over to Twitter now. Michelle Merza, one of the biggest fans of the show, really appreciate you. She said, The Strangers is damn near perfection, in my opinion. So I was skeptical when this one came out. I have to say, I was pleasant, pleasantly surprised and I really enjoyed this one as well. Okay. I can understand that. Jump over to the old book of faces. Dex Cole. Dustin's burner account said this film is a worthy sequel to the original. While it doesn't have the same amount of slow dread its predecessor had, it still holds its own in my opinion. And then Jared Summers completely follows that up saying saw it once. And that was enough for me. Doesn't hold a candle to the first movie. <laughs> uh, That's wrong. all we got for uh, social media. Uh, Brian, Dustin, if y'all got any fun facts. Pinup girl was pretty terrible in this one. And that's not the fact that was just my opinion, but here's the fact part. The reason for that is, uh, She's the only one of the three killers that doesn't ever kill anyone on screen in this film and apparently was recast in the middle of filming when the original actress, not sure of her name, felt claustrophobic wearing her mask during a knife fight scene. She was sent home and her stunt double, Leah Enslin, took over the role. However, with time constraints and shooting, there was a factor for pinups or this was a factor for pinups, you know, lack of screen presence in the movie and Leah Enslin got credit for her in this one. All right. Um, before the script was rewritten, Kristen McKay, who was played by Liv Tyler from the first film was going to return for only the opening scene where she would have been killed. I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. Like just, just, we don't have to have yeah. that much of a tie in. Uh, then the other one I've got is there's a scene in the movie where Luke puts down a pistol on top of a book. The title of that book was a stranger is watching. I thought that was a cool little Easter egg. All right. This is where I actually talk about money. Okay. So, 
I'm going with North American numbers, all right? The budget for this movie was $5 million, and it grossed just under $25 million in North America. Uh, and wow. that's compared to, in North America, the original Strangers making just under $53 million uh, at the box office off a $9 million budget. So a little bit of a difference there, but couldn't have been too bad for the studios because we're getting more of these movies. So there you go. Fuck <laughs> oh, yeah. That's I mean, making, a, making a whole trilogy. It's a it's whole like, new damn, trilogy. What? Yeah, it's man. a whole... It, uh, dude, it's that. official. Wow. It's official. These yeah. writers need to go back on strike if this is all we're coming up with. <laughs> They're still on strike, brother. Almost with all due respect. Fun. I don't, I'm just kidding. I don't want any of our yeah. actors and actresses being out of jobs, but we don't need a Strangers trilogy, for God's sake. Anywho, let's move on to our favorite part of the show, favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, I'll kick us off, Dustin. Favorite kill, got to go with Mike. I love Martin Henderson, and it was a powerful scene, and it was a creepy death. Man, that shit's scary, man. It was really scary. Least favorite kill, to no one's surprise, Cindy, this death is awful. She's one of the two biggest names in the film. And puts up zero fight from this oncoming attacker. She's a mother whose kids are in danger. I just don't buy it at all. Uh, I feel like any other mom or dad in that situation would turn around. They're going down swinging. They're not just going to look at their kid and get stabbed to death. It didn't work for me at all. They should use more of that $5 million budget and let her have 10 minutes more on screen. Anywho, I'm not one of those people that hate this movie or think it's completely unnecessary. I think it's a solid flick with some powerful scenes and creepy moments. I love the parents, especially Martin Henderson. He gives a great performance. A lot of creepy, spooky shots and a great atmosphere. My issues are there's too many nods to the original that just don't work. I know we bitched about that a lot with like Halloween 2018, another 2018 movie. The actress who plays Dollface doesn't deliver the lines as creepy as the original. Uh, I'm going to bitch a little more, but Christina Hendricks' death scene is terrible and she deserves so much better. Luke is an incredibly annoying character who should have died in the pool. Sackhead being a super killer is my biggest issue, though. Keep the movie grounded and realistic. Anywho, it's an okay movie that's well-paced, but doesn't hit anywhere near the same as the original. I wrote down so many different scores, I couldn't settle on it between 6 and 7. I just settled on 6.75. Dustin? I'll go ahead and go then. Um, Favorite kill? Probably Mike. I mean, it was just so eerie seeing that sociopath get in the van beside him and turn on the radio and calmly kill him. Uh, I think that just how unnerving it was made it that much better of a kill to me. Uh, least favorite kill is the, uh, uh, the aunt and uncle. Like it was, not only was it off screen, I really want to know what they did to get their jaws like that. Like what the fuck did they do? And also why prop them up in the bed and put the sheet over them? Like, like it's a fucking treasure. Didn't like that. Uh, as far as my rating, I mean, it's not as good as the first one, but it still has its good qualities. It just completely falls that falls apart in the second half. I'd watch it again, though. I wouldn't seek it out, but I wouldn't turn it off if it was like scrolling through nothing else on. And let's watch it. So I gave it a flat seven. Okay. Uh, My my favorite kill is probably Mike, although there's some contenders. Shout out to honorable mention to the cop getting his throat slashed because just a sucker for good throat slash. Uh, My least favorite kill is Cindy because I really think, you know, just that important of a character. I just wish had a better death scene. I've, Talked about that in a ton of other movies. Uh, yeah, so this movie just is a bag of hit and miss, man. It's got some really good stuff. It's a fun slasher movie, you know, a fun home invasion type thriller, I think. But it doesn't capture that same quality that I loved so much about the original. Like, the original is one location for the most part. It's it's all in the house. Like, it's just really, really good and and suspense filled and you're you're on the edge of your seat the whole movie and this is just kind of a change in direction that I wasn't really looking for again I don't think it's unnecessary and I don't think it's a bad film I just you know if this was the last one we get that's fine now we're getting a trilogy so I'm a little worried about what the heck we're going to do now because we've kind of well the killers are dead so I don't know what they're going to do there anyway uh, all that being said Fine little movie. I give this a six point half. Uh, six point five. Six point half. Get the fuck out of here. Six point half. That's my new thing too. Love it. Uh, my favorite and least favorite kill as well. Are the same as you guys, uh, Mike and Cindy. And just to be short and sweet. Like I said, I love the first half. And usually I would do my usual half a movie, get half a score, which is a five. But the first half, I felt like 
was so good. And we had some like a good mix into the second half or second act, at least most namely the pool scene. The acting was great. I felt like uh, I'm going to go higher than my usual five for half a movie being good. And uh, I actually went a six point half as well, Mike. Fuck you. <laughs> Damn, we got some close scores. That's impressive. Yeah. And turn around. All right. Every that, now uh, and then. I, oh, my bad. That gives us a composite score of a 6.6875, substantially higher than IMDb. Whoa. They've got it at a 5.2, 33,000 votes. The fuck do those people know? They don't know shit. Yeah, fuck them. Anywho, our opinion matters more. Like Dustin said, we're four guys who talk to Robert England. They're a bunch of losers on the internet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, any final thoughts for just uh, shout out our blood donors? Yeah, that ending fucking sucked. Anyway. Oh, man, it was terrible. All right, anywho, blood donors, really appreciate y'all. Can't stress enough how much of a burden it takes off of us helping us pay these bills, especially in how crappy of an economy this is. Five and ten bucks is a lot of money. It's hard to. Not for it's hard you, to, but for the rest of us, yeah. All right, Mr. Alaska. Uh, <laughs> We got a new final girl donor, Christina Tower, like Brian mentioned. We'll be doing her review after we get through with October. Uh, Camper Level Recurring, Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Brian Samick, Trisha, Kelsey Miller, and my boy CJ. Camp Counselor Recurring are Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis, me too close to HomePod, Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia. Adrian Aiello, Karen, and my my boy Matt Strickland. Really appreciate y'all. It means a lot to us. Uh, I'm not going to announce what our next pick is because we're doing it big for October. Uh, just stay tuned to our social medias. We're going to drop a video of all of the uh, movies we're doing next month. We want to do some fun bonuses. Uh, so yeah, tune into our socials if you want to know what we're doing next week. It's going to be a really really big month. I'm excited. Yes, for, I'm really excited for this month. Uh, let's just say we're going back to the logo a lot. Anywho, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Every now and, now and then I get a little bit lonely and you never come around. Oh, my bad. Just want to remind everybody. Oh.